Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. As you return to your seats, I want to go to Genesis chapter 7. If you'll remain standing, thank you, worship team. I know that you you have been so passionate in both services, and I honor you for that. Your worship did not go down a drop from the first service to this one. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for everything that you've done. I know, I know that it is it is laborious, but you've given yourselves over to it, Pastor Man. I, I want to say this, and I'm not a flatterer. I'm just that's not me. I just kind of say it as I see it. Do you realize how healthy of a disciple? The man's are. You don't. Tra- maybe you don't travel from church to church. Let me just say it from from my context. They are so healthy. They are so godly. They are so patient. You know how I know this? I never heard a single thing about any of you. I don't know a thing about any of you because they didn't say a thing. They just talk about how great this church is. They talk about how God called them here 10 years ago, how much they love the calling God's given to them. It's just so refreshing, and I love them, and I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for allowing me. Thank you for allowing me. I honor my wife, who has taught me more about the bride of Christ than anything. She is tending to our sick children today. She's watching online. And, oh, love you. Genesis 7, 18. I need you to pick up on the repeat, repeating words here in this passage. They will be repeated over and over. And since there's no punctuation in the ancient Hebrew language, often what they will do to stress a point is they'll repeat it over and over and over again. And it takes a word Uh, without exclamation points, and through the repetition, it places an exclamation point. For example, holy, holy, holy. It is talking about he is not just kadosh, which is the Hebrew word. He is different, different, different. Through the repetition, they put an exclamation point. And Moses has done this very grammatical thing right here in Genesis, and you'll see it. And I'm going to hit these words for you, and you'll pick them up. Genesis 7, 18 the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. Verse 19, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. Verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward. Verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Water to them does not mean a casual day at the beach. It, it, for them, it means chaos. Water is uninhabitable. There's no life that can live out there. This is what our world was like before God showed up. This is a dangerous thing. And Noah is looking at it when the chaos is prevailing. It's not just prevailing, but verse 19 is prevailing exceedingly. And it's not just exceedingly, but it's deep. It is covering everything 15 cubits upwards. And not only that, but it's lasting a long time. It's been lasting now for 150 days. And you read this and there's a lot of sobering reality that's baptizing us here. And there's just this despair. But then all of a sudden, verse uh, 1 of chapter 8 crops up. Then God remembered Noah. 
and every living thing and all the animals that were with him. And God made a wind pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Let's look at the rest of this. Verse 6, so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited. That word waited there is yachal. It means hope. So he's hoping. He hopes yet another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Verse 12. So he waited. He's hoping. He hopes yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And that was the sign. The dove has not returned. The dove has found life. The dove has found a place. She's not coming back here. God has created anew again. I want to minister to us today when rest hopes. You have got to get this to move any further in the end times. I'm, I'm going to stress this just so much today that you have got to get this if you intend to move any further into this end time hour. I know what you're hearing on the news. I know you're looking at Israel and Hamas. I know you've probably Googled the seven vials, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. I know that you've probably been studying Revelation and something has come over us of fear. Oh God, what are we going to do? Oh God, what's going to happen next? Oh God, that is not the intention of the end time hour. The intention of the end time hour is blessed is he who reads and understands this book is what it said about Revelation. We are going to move into a deeper dimension. So if you want that today, if you want that blessed assurance, would you lift up your hands as a sign? God, here they are. They have declared they want it. Now baptize them with it. God, I pray that you pour out your blessed assurance upon these great people. God, this is your sweet wife. This is your precious bride that you're coming back for. These are your children. God, I pray that you minister through me to them today. God, let me be like a best man to the groom and let me speak, Lord, these words of hope to your church. God, I pray that they would walk in a new confidence, God, every single person in this room. From the seasoned saint to the first time guest, I pray that everyone in this room get a revelation of how secure we are because God you have placed something in our window glory to your name glory to your name amen amen you can be seated in the Bible was perfection in Genesis there was Adam and Eve, and everything was correct, everything was right, everything was as it should be. They were in harmony, walking tandemly with the Spirit. And you know the story, it's a popular story, and they immediately made this fallible mistake, which God was intending to repair if they simply confessed. And God shows up to them, and due to a lack of their confession, God looks at Adam and he says, Cursed now is the ground because of you. Cursed is not the ground because of God. It's not because of the devil. It's because of us. The problems in our earth have been created because we desire sin. 
We have a hunger. We've proven this throughout all history. This isn't a God problem. This is a humanity problem. You don't even need a devil to be that. We are, we are born with depravity, and the adversary can take out an insurance policy on most of us. We're perfectly fine at destroying ourselves without a devil. And what an adversary will simply do is just come along and accelerate our depravity by repeating to us what we already know about ourselves. We are fallible and we need help. But cursed is the reality now. He says, cursed is the ground on account of you. It shall produce thorns and thistles. It will never produce the way it did unless there is a repair. And so he curses the ground. And that's a terrible thing because Adam is also made from the ground. So if the ground is producing thorns and thistles, then everything made from it will as well. So that means you and I, at our best, we produce pain and uselessness, not fruit. That's what we now as cursed individuals from the ground. And not only that, but when we die, we go to the thing which we were made from rather than from the one in whose image we were made from. That is the curse. Cursed is not just work and sweat. That's not the true curse. Being cast from his presence was the curse. The woman is then given a curse and pain shall you conceive. This is the reality, this is life, this is the day-to-day condition now in a cursed environment. But not only that, but God says, now I must send you forth from this tree of life. And you may think, well, that's not fair, God, that's not, I thought you were a father, I thought you were loving, why would you not let me have access to the tree of eternity? And God would look at us and say, because you're broken. You're damaged, and if you eat from eternity, you will live eternally broken. So if you'll trust me, I'll repair the curse and give it back. But I won't give you eternity unless you're whole. And so this begins the journey through the Bible. It's now a little over a millennia after this famous story of Adam and Eve. We're now reading of a post-Edenic world where the earth's population has exploded in number. There's more than just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and their third son, Seth. We now have a multitude of people walking the earth. But not just an explosion of people, but also sin has found more and more people. So as the world populates with more humans, sin multiplies with it. Long forgotten is the righteous sacrifice of Abel. It's now in the rear view mirror. We have descendants of Cain. And we see in Cain's descendants that there is a man who kills a man. And then he says, well, if God avenged my great, 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 great grandfather, then he'll avenge me 77-fold for killing a man. In this world that is now post-Edenic, there are people that are abusing the goodness of God and saying, well, there's murderers in my family tree, and God forgave them, so I can murder and get forgiveness too. In a broken society, we take what is good and we twist it and warp it and make it ours. God's goodness, his grace is now being abused. Needless murder is now justified because God just showed somebody his nature. It's amidst the sin-filled context that another man named Lamech is introduced who is descending down the line of Seth. And this other Cain rises up. And this is what he does in Genesis 5, 28. A spirit of prophecy comes over him. And Lamech lived 182 years and he had a son. And he called his name Noah. Noah is not just some random name. 
It is the Hebrew word rest. He looks at that baby boy and he says, I'm going to name him rest because I feel something stirring on me. I feel the winds of change blowing in our sin-filled society and culture. And he looks at this one and he says, this one shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begat Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. A man who prophesies rest dies at the age of 777. You can't make this up. It's as if the Bible knew what it was doing. The day that the Lord rested in Eden was on the seventh day, and this man dies at the age of seven, three cycles of seven, and he names his son Rest. And he looks at rest and he says, rest is going to comfort us concerning the work of our hands. The cursed ground is going to be repaired through rest. Rest is going to fix all of this. But as we will find out, a sin-filled society will not rest from her devious works just because a prophetic word has been released. Prophecies don't fix things. Prophecies are opportunities for participants to join with them for the repair. But sin is going to keep being sin. It's not a neat and tidy end time. Sin will be sin. Sinners sin. But we see sin will continue her work. We see the condition, even though rest is alive and breathing, we see in Genesis 6, 5, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is with a prophet in their midst. This is with a man who died at the age of 777, who had a word of prophecy, and his son is living, therefore the prophecy is living, and rest is amongst us. And even with rest here, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart because our thoughts were evil continually. Jesus would describe this hour on earth in Luke 17. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, before you get confused about that passage, God is not demonizing eating and drinking and marrying. What God is highlighting there is he said people were just going about day-to-day life as if no rain was ever going to show up. They were just going about day-to-day life. Everything's just going to keep on going as it has been going. Everything's fine. In fact, Peter prophesied of this time, and he, they said to him, he says, where's the promise of his return? You've been saying that since ever, our fathers died. And he said, oh, he's not slack concerning his promise. But he is faithful to do that which he said he would do. He's giving us time to repent. In an hour where prophecies were alive, in an hour where sin was doing more than it had ever done, and in an hour where hope is walking on this planet, and in an hour where people are oblivious to it, God is calling us to holy coherence, to sobriety, to wake up and say, hope is here. Don't live your life as normal day to day as if rain's not coming. Rain is on its way, but I want you to know that I've got a plan. I believe that we have done God an injustice and we we make God this mean God. God is a judge. But if you pay attention to his heart, he speaks of the storm. He speaks of the rain one time and spends a whole chapter on the ark. Why are you mad at God for being what he is? He is judge, but he's just 
as well. And he shows up and he says, I have to tell you the truth, that judgment is coming on its way. But before it gets here, I'm going to give you a span of time and I'm going to give you a plan. And I'm going to spend more time talking about the plan than the rain. The rain, I got to make you aware of it, but I'm not going to tell you how deep it's going to be. I'm not going to tell you how long it's going to last because my greatest concern is telling you about the boat because the boat is of greater importance than the rain that's coming. Don't worry about the depth. Don't worry about the chaos. Don't worry about those things because what I'm giving you is far better. And he spends time with a man named Rest. And he comes down and he says, Rest, you were prophesied for this hour. And I know you look around you and everybody is doing what they want. I know that sin is multiplying, but Rest, you have been made for this moment. Rest, I need you to build something. Here's some blueprints. And whatever you do, Rest, you don't deviate from this plan. You make it exactly the way I show you. I want you to build me a boat and I want there to be an upper deck, a middle deck, and a lower deck. I want three floors inside of one boat. Don't make me three boats. You make me one boat with three floors inside of it. I want you to put a door inside on the side of that thing because without a door in the side of it, no man can enter in. So you put a door in the side of it. Put a window in the top of it as well because that window is going to be important later. But here's something very important that somebody will understand later. I want you to put pitch on the outside and pitch on the inside. Now that word pitch doesn't quite hit in English the way it does in Hebrew. That word pitch is the Hebrew word kefer. Guess what? That word's on another ark in the future. The ark of the covenant. It got translated in Leviticus 6 though as the word atonement. It's the same Hebrew word for Noah's ark as it was for Moses' ark. But over here it's atonement. It just means smear something all over it. And God came to him and he said I want you to smear something on the outside of the boat and smear something on the inside of the boat. Noah has no idea what all of this means. He's just got to trust and put his faith in the plan and say, oh, what's the point of smearing the outside? What's the point of smearing the inside? Well, he would soon find out as he would enter into that ark. And as the Bible tells us that when the rain started falling, Noah entered through the side. But here's the next part that's beautiful that you need to hear, that God's hand itself shut him in. I don't know who has lied to us and who has been which the church who has told you that your salvation is weak who told you that you could just lose it like that are you saying I'm once saved always saved I'm not telling you that you can go you can put a diving board on the boat if you want to but if you stay in the boat the hand of God is on the outside of it and this is the strongest boat in the world and Noah would come in through the door and he would have to enter in at that first floor and then he would climb up to the second floor then he would climb up to the third floor but here's the part that God didn't tell Noah God didn't tell him that the rain was going to be as intense as it was brother did you know that archaeologists have found they're called chevrons chevron is what's what's built up from a tsunami when a tsunami makes landfall all the sediment and all the trash and debris that's in the water when it makes landfall it starts to pile up and it builds a big hill when the waters recede there are all these big hills that have been left over they have found chevrons brother smith in the middle east the size of manhattan 
And so they were curious. They said, where in the world did these come from? How big of a tsunami was this? And so they started excavating, and they have found, this is within the past decade, they have found extraterrestrial material, meaning there was a meteor that hit. And so they triangulated, and they went to the Indian Ocean, and they found that there was a meteor, a crater at the bottom of the Indian Ocean that was even larger and they said there was a meteor. Whatever made this crater would have been so large that the moment it, it, made, it hit our atmosphere, it would have flash boiled the, the atmosphere, the water in the atmosphere, and it would have caused a rain. And it would have kicked up a tsunami that would have been a mile high, and it would have been traveling at over 700 miles an hour to create this size of a chevron. It points to the same mountain that Noah's Ark landed on. And they believe that it was a meteor that caused all of the national flood. And this was how the waters could rise up, cover the mountains and descend down again and it not completely cover the mountains this is how science has agreed with the bible but god did not tell noah that there was going to be a wave a mile high traveling at 700 miles an hour and there would be an impact that would hit this earth that would cause earthquakes everywhere and fear and trembling would be everywhere and all of a sudden, could you imagine a wave hitting that ark and Noah getting slammed across? And he's thinking to himself, my name is Rest, and I've been working for the past 150 years. I have been toiling, and now I'm going through all of this? You know what we have not told you? Nobody told me that my salvation would go through that. I, I made a boat an insurance policy. The boat's going to keep me from problems. No, the boat keeps you from chaos, but the boat will be hit with the chaos. You are not exempt from problems. I am not here to sell you a false product. I am not here to tell you that because you came to church, your whole family is going to get put back together today. I'm not here telling you that everything is going to get repaired all of a sudden because you got baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I cannot tell you that ethically. What I can tell you, though, is that if you will partner with the plan God has made, then the thing that he shuts you in can rise above the chaos and all of the trouble that is surrounding us in the end times here's what I can promise you the chaos cannot get inside of the boat because there's something covering on the outside and there's something covering on the inside but what you need to learn how to do is rest in the salvation do you think that it mere coincidence that God chose a man named Rest and came to him and said, I need you to build some salvation. I need you to build this thing. And when he goes inside of that, he may be tossed to and fro. He might be getting seasick inside of the salvation. But all of a sudden, the revelation hits him. I am still here. I, I can't. I can't see. The kafed, I can't see the atonement on the outside. 
but I can see it on the inside. And if the inside is working, then I believe that what I can't see on the outside must also be working. I can trust what I can't see by what God gave me. God gave him a sign on the inside of the boat that said, look at this. This is for your benefit. It's going to keep the chaos out, but it's also a sign to you that what you can see, what is tangible, is working. That means what you can't see on the outside is also working. My hand is on this salvation rest. You can rest here. You might be tossed back and forth. It may get hard, but you can rest inside of the salvation. I don't know who has bewitched the church of the living God and told you, oh, the end times are amongst us. You better you better get everything. Uh, yes, I believe you better get everything right, but you and I are different. We rest in this salvation. There doesn't mean we're not going to have trouble, but when troubles come, we are different. We rise above chaos because we have been given a vessel. It just gets better, y'all. Noah built the boat exactly to God's plans, but he's not driving it. I've looked. I can't find a rudder and a steering wheel anywhere in the book. I find a wind, the Bible said, that started blowing. And that boat was going where it was supposed to go because God knew, Noah, if you drive this thing, you'll never get it where it's supposed to go. So what I'll do is I'll drive it. You trusted me with the plans. Your part is to build the salvation based off of the gracious plans that I gave you. You didn't, you could never come up with this. So my grace gave you the plans, but your partnership joined with the plans, but here's what I'm going to do. I'll drive the thing and wherever this boat wants to go, my wind will drive it. You can't, you can't steer the wind. The wind's going to take it where it needs to go. And so Noah, you're just going to have to trust that this boat's going to land where it's supposed to. And sure enough, after a long period of time, that boat lands on top of a special mountain, not just some random mountain. God was driving. And he says, I know where I want this boat. I know how to drive it. And that boat lands on top of Mount Ararat. You know what that word means? That's the Hebrew word curse. <laughs> no, I, was, I told you, if you drive this thing, you don't know where that mountain's at. I will put rest and hope on top of a cursed hill. And so while he's up there on top of a cursed hill, rest is abiding in the salvation. And rest rises up. And he looks through the window God told him to make. And he looks out that window and he's like, ooh, that's not good. I would like to live up to my name at some point, God. I've had this name since I was a kid. I'm getting old, y'all. And I haven't rested one time. I've been working. i got splinters. I've, I've built this boat. We got slammed with some crazy wave. You didn't tell me about that part. But, and now we're now we high-centered. we stuck. And chaos is still out there. And so he sends out a dove. And the dove goes out. And the dove is fluttering over the face of the deep. And that dove comes back. And I just like to imagine the dove could talk. And the dove comes back and he's like, Nah, fam, don't leave, bro. It is bad out there. You remember that Eden stuff? Yeah, I remember. It's not out there. There's no Eden anywhere to be seen. Nothing but chaos. Okay, let's rest for seven days. 
What do you mean? There's chaos out there. Yeah. But I've got salvation. On a cursed hill. So let's rest. And so they rest for the first cycle of seven. Little did Noah realize he would fulfill his own father's age. And so for one cycle of seven, he rests. He sends the dove back out. And the dove comes back after that mission trip. And he's like, bro, you ain't going to believe this. You remember that eating stuff? Check this out. There's some eating. He comes back with an olive branch. He goes, there's some eating emerging out of the chaos. The waters are falling. And so Noah says, we aren't leaving until Eden is in its fullness. So let's rest for another seven days. We do, after all, have a micro Eden. There was a garden in Eden and there was an inner court, outer court, and a holy of holies in the garden. God has given us a little one right here that we can rest in until the real one shows up. So he's resting in the micro Eden where he has dominion over a bunch of animals. And he's looking out and he goes, let's keep resting. I think I'm starting to get a revelation of my calling. And he rests for seven days, a second cycle of seven. And then he comes out, but this time he looks out over the water and the Bible says, and he waited. The Bible uses the word, how he hopes. He's looking out and he goes, man, the water's descended a little bit. The waters have dropped a little bit. What was deep, what was prevailing, and what's been lasting a long time has dropped. And so I'm hoping it's going to drop some more. So let's just keep resting in the salvation. And he sends the dove out for the third time. And that dove doesn't return because that dove found something better than the micro-Eden. He found what the micro-Eden was preparing them for. And that dove was like, no, I found some Eden. And Noah says, we're going to rest another seven days, but I'm going to keep on hoping for what is to come. Finally, the waters fully descend. Noah leaves that ark. And when he does, he builds an altar on top of that cursed hill. And God smells the sweet-smelling savor of a sacrifice on top of a cursed hill. And he comes down and he goes, I'll never destroy the earth again. But God, what proof do you have? You gave me the pitch as proof that the boat would work. What proof do you have of the Eden that is to come? Here's my proof. I know that your faith is weak. I'll give you something visible. I'll give you something tangible. And he sets this bow in the air. And he says, you see that? That's my promise of a new covenant. That's the thing that you can look at and have hope in. Your hope that you've been having has worked. I want you to hope in that now that my grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient. And he says, I'll never destroy the earth, though the thoughts of man are evil continually. Wait a minute, God. That's why you destroyed it in the first place was because our thoughts were evil continually. I know. But the difference today is... I've given you a covenant on a cursed hill. Why am I telling you all of this? You understand Hebrew literature just works very differently than our modern English literature. They don't have numbers in Hebrew. They count with their letters. So anytime they see a letter, they're seeing a continuation of a story. They're not looking at formula. We're constantly looking for a formula. That's why we read Revelation, and we're looking for some hidden code to crack the end times. That's not the point. The point is a revelation of Jesus. The revelation is trying to show us the one who overcame the world. And this is what Jesus comes to do. Jesus walks on this earth, and when he does, he steps into the Jordan River. And when he steps into that Jordan River, all of a sudden, the heavens split open, and a dove comes down. 
When that dove falls on Jesus, every native reader who knew their own culture and custom looked and they were staggered and they said, oh no, what is that? Does that mean, does that mean that Jesus is the Eden amongst us? Does that mean that Jesus is the tender plant according to the promise, the prophet that spoke? Is he the one who would come from the cursed ground? Is he the olive branch that the prophet told us about? Is he the one that would grow amongst us in a dry and dreary place? Is is he the root and stem of Jesse? Is he our salvation? And Jesus would come out and he would make some strange statements such as, guys, I am the son. Okay, cool, I see that. Oh, I'm also the spirit. Wait a minute. You just said you were the son. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> I'm also the father. Hold up. All I see is Jesus. You don't understand. I'm the lower deck. I'm the middle deck. I'm the upper deck. But I'm also the way, the truth, and the life. I am also the door. No man go to that upper deck, the Father, except by me. Oh, I'm also the Lamb, the high priest, and the tabernacle. Come unto me, all of you that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am your salvation. I am the ark. And here's what I'll do. If you will take me and put me on the outside of your life, how do I do that? I'll tell you, Nicodemus, that if you will be baptized, then you can put the covering on the outside of the vessel. How do I put it on the inside? Oh, have you looked at the wind lately? I can't see the wind. Exactly. No one knows about the wind, but you know it's real because of the sound that you hear thereof. When that wind starts finding you, you understand when the Spirit of God blows over chaotic people, it pushes all the chaos of our lives aside, and it parts our chaos, and it brings us into covenant with Him. And this happened in Acts 2. When the wind started blowing in that upper room they began to speak with other tongues and they knew it by the sound thereof here's what I can tell you right now put your faith in the salvation of God stop worrying about are we going to make it in the end times God has shut you in to such a powerful salvation there is nothing weak about the blood of Jesus there's nothing weak about baptism in his name when you went down in that water there was something powerful that happened God said put it on the outside make sure you cover them make sure they're covered and when you invoke the name of Jesus over the outside of the vessel something happens to you but then the wind starts blowing and everything that is chaos starts to part and you get filled with the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in tongues and when you do you have this holy assurance he has moved on the inside this is the message. This is the greatest news. The old news is still good news. <laughs> we have nothing to worry about, brother. We have... I can look at Israel and say, oh God, the end times are amongst us. I can hear the angel inhale as he's about to blow the trumpet. But I'm not worried about seven trumpets because the trumpets mean something different to this Rahab than it does to the city of Jericho. What I'm trying to do is I'm pleading and interceding with God. God, 
save my husband, save my wife, save my sisters. God, you save this household. All that's in the house will be saved. But if you go outside of the house, no one will be saved. But as long as you stay inside this room and we see that red scarlet thread blowing in the wind, everybody in the house will be saved. You understand that Rahab looked at that scarlet thread and she looked at that with hope and she said nothing. Nothing's going to take my family. Nothing's going to destroy us. What, what they're fearful of is not what I'm fearful of. You understand this salvation. There is nothing more important than this salvation. But here's what God does. He gives everybody the plan. And he says, I can't build this for you. I'll give it to you. I'll send preachers. I'll send apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and I will present it to you. But I'm a gentleman. I can't make you do anything. But if you'll build the plan. Brother Holloway, I don't believe in tongues. I believe that's an extra work. It's just, it's one of the gifts. You realize that the word gift in Acts 2 is not the same Greek word as gift in 1 Corinthians? And if it's a gift for some, then why did all 120 do it? I don't know if I believe in baptism. Why does it matter that we baptize in Jesus' name? Because Moses did it. At that Red Sea. All of Israel was behind them, and they saw their past coming up. Egypt and Pharaoh was coming behind them. And they said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the wilderness to die? And Moses looks at them and says, do not fear. See the salvation of the Lord. The word Lord right there is the transliterated version because they were afraid to say the name. The word Lord there is Yahweh. The word salvation is Shuach. Go read it in the Hebrew language. Moses looks at Israel and he says, do not fear, Yahshuach. And when he said Yahshua, why does that matter? Because that name got translated into the Greek as Isus, and Isus got translated to English, Jesus. Moses baptized Israel in the name of Jesus. And when he said that name, a wind started blowing. And when the wind started blowing, the water separated. And they walked through it. And guess what happened when they walked through it? God said, none of your past can follow you. And the waters closed on Egypt. And that's why they sang Shirat Haimo across the sea. The Lord is our warrior. The Lord fought for us today. What are we afraid of? Musicians, get ready. Church, please hear me. The way we navigate the end times is right here. You and I, we rest in this salvation because Christ didn't just go into the Jordan River. He wasn't just, you realize that Joshua, same name, when Joshua's foot hit the Jordan River going into the promised land, the Bible said that the waters parted and it piled up to a heap at the city of Adam. And Adam was next to a city called Zerat. I think that's interesting because Adam means human and Zerat means pierced. And as a man named Yahshua, 
when his foot hits the water, the waters pile up to a heap at a city where it was called where a human was pierced. And when Joshua walked through the water, the waters broke and flooded back over and they inherited their promise. Do you know what happens when you get baptized in the name of Jesus? The name of Jesus comes down. And we're literally saying, Yahweh saves. And when you go under that water, we put our faith in the one who was pierced, who went to a cursed hill. And he said, here's what I'll do. I'm going to give you something tangible that you can hope in. I'm going to give you something that you can put your faith in. So that when problems come, when issues arise, whether they're end times or just personal issues that crop up due to life, here's what I can give you. I can give you rest. Brother Holloway, what if you're wrong? What if I put my faith in all of this? What if I do this and I die someday? And all of this was just, this is just tradition. We just, we went to church and we could have been having, we could have been having fun going out, you know, doing whatever we want on a Sunday. We didn't have to live this. This is not an easy life. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but living as a Christian is not an easy life. I don't know if you've been watching lately, but we're hated. Some people for right, rightful reasons, because they're like not good Christians, but <laughs> hopefully that's none of you. But what if, what if I'm wrong? What if I die and that's it? I just I go back to dust. That's a good question, and it's a fair question. If I'm wrong, then I just wasted my life on a marriage that should have ended in divorce six years ago. If I'm wrong, all I, I just had, I just had a marriage, that's all. If, I, if I'm wrong, I just wasn't given over to addiction because 92% of families that lose a child in a horrific way end in divorce. And that's in church, by the way, that's the church statistic. I'm in the small 8%. Not because I'm strong, but because I read this book and I said, God, I'm going to put my faith in this. So let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I'm wrong. I went to bed every night with peace. Let's say I'm wrong. Then I have rest. Let's say I'm wrong. Then the depression that I felt three years ago. Yes, I said that right. I had depression for three years as a preacher. And then God, I told Brother Man the story yesterday. God set me up and taught me joy. So if I'm wrong, I just have joy that I shouldn't have. If I'm wrong, I've got peace that I didn't know how to get. If I'm wrong, I've got a marriage. This should have ended a divorce. But let's, if you're going to ask me that question, let me ask you the same. What if you're wrong? And I'm bold enough to say it to you. If you're wrong, then you have turmoil. You may have money, you may have a good job, but you don't know how to cope. When problems hit, Hollywood has proven that, that money doesn't, doesn't prevent you from trouble. 
This is all, this is all around us. We see this. If you're wrong, then you have just but a morsel of joy here. But you're not experiencing the full rest that's available to you. Because here's what I know. Sin does what it wants even though rest is walking on the earth. But if I'm right, then I get peace. I get joy. I get rest. And I get called out someday. And I get to hear him say, enter thou in. Good and faithful. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know what that means for us? I get problems just like you do. But I get peace here as a down payment of the ultimate peace that I'll get later. I get rest now. This is why I'm convinced that God is going to allow the church to go through some issues because God needs to show off his bride. God needs the world to see they are not like everybody else. They are not those who have no hope. That's why Paul could say what he said in in Corinthians. He told them this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Everything I just did today was an act. It was a show if Christ didn't rise. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of a God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. We're just, this is a social club. Christ didn't rise. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. That means my son Levi, I'll never see him again. That means Papa Holloway, he's gone forever. That means Emma Diaz, my grandmother, she's gone. Papa Diaz, Papa Holloway, they're all gone. But if in this life we had hope, if I had hope in this life only, I would be miserable. But then he turns the tide. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means Jesus ascended. That means you can put your faith in this. I'm gonna ascend as well. If Christ came out of the grave and went to our heavenly home, he was the dove. And he says, I'm gone to prepare a place for you. I have found the ultimate Eden and you're on your way there too. But in the meantime, rest in this salvation but here's the next part that we need to do better at while you're resting in this salvation you need to look out over social media you need to look out over fox and cnn you need to look out over israel and hamas you need to look out over politics and you need to start hoping any day now any day now the chaos is going to drop and when the chaos finally hits its final few inches we're going home we're going home the trumpets mean something different to Rahab than it does to Jericho. So if you're here today, you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, I want you to consider putting it on the outside. If you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues, I want you to put the covering on the inside. Would you run to these altars, saints and guests to life, thrust those hands up in the air and say, God, it doesn't matter what comes in the end times. It doesn't matter. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. 
Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.